Welcome to the Logger and Listings Podcast with JFK Properties. This podcast gives real estate investors, experts, and entrepreneurs an opportunity to share their stories over a casual beverage. Hosted by the founding members of JFK Properties, an investment company that specializes in commercial and residential real estate. So sit back, grab a drink, and listen to this real, insightful, and sometimes funny podcast on real estate investing and entrepreneurship. Hello, welcome to another episode of the Logger and Listing Podcast with JFK Properties. Again, I have the pleasure of being the host this week with a special guest, Robert Goudet. Robert, I've known for several years as a fellow investor. How are you doing today, Rob? I'm doing very well, and yourself? Doing well, doing well. Just enjoyed a great long Thanksgiving weekend with friends and family. And how was your Thanksgiving? Actually, it was great. I didn't have to cook this year. I didn't have to clean this year. And I got to spend time with family. And so it was it was awesome. I really enjoyed it. That sounds like a win-win all around. And for those of you that are from the United States, yes, Canadian Thanksgiving is in October, not in November like yours. So just wanted to start off, Rob, and ask you, like I do all of our guests here on Logger and Listings Podcast, how you got started in real estate, why you got started in, and what you've been up to since you began your journey. Actually, it's a funny story. I didn't know I was going to get into real estate investing. There was a day where uh, I believe it was a Saturday, beautiful day. My wife said, let's go for a drive. Next thing I know, I'm parking at the airport and being told I'm going to a free seminar on how to invest in, in real estate. I hadn't even heard of Robert Kiyosaki at the time. Rich dad, poor dad, had no clue. I just knew that I was being dragged into a hotel at the airport for God knows what. So we got in and, and started listening. And I swear, I, it must have been maybe half an hour in. I had about $100 US in my pocket, a couple of books, and I was walking to the back to spend $500 that I did not have at the time to attend a three-day seminar. And uh, I guess it all went from there, went to a three-day seminar and was hooked. Knew this was my ticket to changing my life. My wife as well, She she was so sold on it and and we knew we were going to be sold but we didn't think we were going to buy anything and we just it was the best investment we ever made getting educated on how to invest in real estate and not just that the people aspect i got to meet some incredible people like yourself like my business partner some fellow investors it just turned out to be a blessing that i didn't know i needed at the time so what year was this in that was back in 2014 Okay. So you started kind of taking classes 2014. No, actually we delayed it. We went into full panic mode, spending money we didn't have. And uh, we delayed it for a year looking for somebody to partner up with. And that was a huge mistake, a total waste of time. Should have just jumped in right away. So we only started taking courses in, I don't know, about a third of the way into 2015. Took about a year and a half to complete the courses. So by 2017, I had met up with my business partner taking a class. Actually, Pam, my wife, met him and introduced us. Nothing came of it until I saw a posting on, on Facebook for uh, to join a, a mini mastermind. Mm -hmm. And we got to know one another. Started doing uh, business together a few months later, set up our corpse. And the next thing we knew it, we had our first six deals between July and December. Six deals in yeah, that short of time. Six, six rent-owned deals, yeah. yeah. So for those of you that uh, don't know what rent-owned, I don't think we've had anybody in the podcast that 
has really spoken about rent to own. I know we've had a couple of people that do it, but not part of their core business. What exactly is rent to own for those that don't know? It's when people cannot get a mortgage for whatever reason and are looking to get into becoming a homeowner. So if they didn't have a sufficient deposit, they have a damaged credit score report, they're um, entrepreneurs and they haven't been showing income. So they need time to show the income to get a mortgage. New homeowners, young people who, who haven't been able to save up and don't have a credit history, lots of different reasons. This was a perfect strategy for us to get involved with because at the time I had gone through a messy divorce and, and a consumer proposal from a, a not so pleasant business transaction. And uh, I couldn't get a mortgage myself. So it was the perfect vehicle because I could create cash flow, I could create earned income. and mm -hmm work with people who could get the mortgages. So we had joint venture agreements with all of our, our rent to owns where we didn't have to use our credit. We were using other people's credit, other people's money and paying them well. Everybody was making out on this. So people got into their home, people were making money as investors, as passive investors, and we were making money for a limited amount of work involved with the process of getting into rent to own. So it, it worked out very well. So what was your favorite aspect of doing rent to own? Because I know there's a lot involved, like you, you mentioned outside investors, you mentioned potential homeowners, whether they be young entrepreneurs and you guys as investors yourselves, but what was your favorite part of the process? Well, listen, you know, I'm not going to pretend I'm a martyr and I do it for strictly for, for pleasure and helping other people. The money was good. The money is really good in, in doing rent to own if you're structuring it well, but, uh, Everything I've done in real estate, it's, I get the joy from the people, you know, we were helping people getting into their homes and some of them were a challenge, both, you know, following the advice and also communicating with, you know, it wasn't always easy. It wasn't always smooth, but I enjoyed the fact that we could help people. And that's why we went into it. Got to know a lot of people who worked as investors and, and I don't call them investors anymore. I, I use the term more in conversations like this, but these are my friends now, mm -hmm. friends. You know, we'll get on conversations for, for half an hour, an hour, and then the last 10 seconds is business. So it really is. It goes well with what I wanted in, in lifestyle I wanted. So would you say that uh, building relationships is your favorite aspect of investing? It is. And it's funny. I never thought it would be because I'm a homebody. You know, as much as I, I do travel for business, I am a homebody when I'm home. I stay home. I don't go out and party and drink in restaurants all that often. I like being around my family. And when I'm in groups of people, I have to push myself to do that. It doesn't come naturally. People mm -hmm. think it comes naturally. It doesn't. You have to work at it. And I'm drained afterwards, but in a good way for the most part, because I, I do appreciate what other people are going through and and how we can feed off of one another. They can help us. We can help them. So that really is the enjoyable aspect of it. Who cares about real estate buildings? You know, I'm sorry. I, I don't, I, <laughs> I want to give good homes to my tenants, but I really don't want to know them. I don't want to see where they live all that much. I'm not living there. So I don't care really about that aspect. Buildings are buildings, you know, their work, but the people aspect of it that I'm building the relationships with on the investment side. Oh, I love it. So I've had the pleasure of um, being with you on a few occasions in different scenarios where, you know, whether it be a networking event, whether it's a, a multifamily in Eastern Ontario that uh, we're looking at talking with the seller. But what is your approach when you're meeting, let's say, a seller or an investor? 
to really build that relationship so you have somebody that you can work with perhaps long-term? I want to know about them. First off, my biggest criteria is if I'm going to do business, if I'm going to be tied into a business transaction for a period of time, I want to like that person. You know, For sellers, it's not the most important aspect, but investors, partners, I want to have a good relationship with. If I don't like that person, I can't, I can't get into a business relationship with them. But when I'm dealing with investors and, and sellers, it's let's get to know one another. Like, what is it that you're trying to achieve? This is what I'm trying to achieve. I think if you can put all your cards on the table, be honest, see how you can help one another and make it a win-win transaction, then you know what? I think everybody feels good moving forward and they want to do business with one another again and again and again. And as far as sellers are concerned, in today's world, you're dealing more often than not with a with a real estate agent. And in most typical transactions, you know what? That's what you want to do. You, mm-hmm. you want them to act as a buffer. But when you start getting into creative finance type deals, when you're talking about vendor take backs, and let's face it, most people are not educated on that, on, on the intricacies. They've heard the term, but they don't really understand it. So if you have the opportunity to speak face to face on how you can make a transaction a win-win, give them what they want or more and make that deal happen you build a pretty good relationship and it makes it more pleasant and it makes it more profitable for everybody involved. And I think most people will want to deal with us if we can build that rapport rather than just opening it up to the rest of the world. Yeah. I also think there's an area of misinterpretation when you have both the buyer and seller dealing with realtors and no offense to any realtors listening to this, but ultimately they're looking for a commission. So they may not be able to convey the message in a way that is beneficial to relationship and ultimately getting what both sides want and creating that win-win. Yeah. Have you had a situation where, you know, you've had to kind of struggle to build a relationship with a, you know, a seller or even a buyer when you guys are selling properties? Buying, you know what? We've had really good experiences to date. The latest one that I was, you know, we were getting a deal in the works, you and I, that was a little bit of a, a frustrating situation. I don't know what happened there. I thought we had a good rapport, but something must have happened along the way, or that person didn't represent themselves as they were planning. Mm-hmm. Whatever the case, it didn't work. And you know, maybe someone will circle back to that because everybody dealt in a respectful manner, right? Mm-hmm. But as far as sellers, you know what? I've had generally good experiences when I've dealt with the seller, most agents, even though I give realtors a, a hard time. <laughs> but you know, generally speaking, we've had good experiences. As far as buyers, it depends. For the most part, it's been okay experience. I tend to negotiate as a seller as I negotiate as a buyer. There are things that I will negotiate on and some things that I make it clear from the get-go don't even come back to me about, just as I will respect if a seller says those things. But the challenge more, I think, is as you see more and more people being educated on how to buy, but we've made such a huge deal out of using other people's money that people are buyers, new investors are strictly focused on using other people's money. And they're doing that before they've even built up that human resources capital of investors. So they'll get a contract, they'll get a property under contract. And it's happened to me where they don't have the money and they tie up the property. That's the frustrating part. And we're going through that at the moment. But again, you know what? I don't think anybody's doing that to be hurtful 
they're trying to make something happen for their lives. So I respect that. So what advice would you give to an investor looking at raising capital in building that relationship with a potential investor? What would you say are kind of the keys to that relationships and the process that you go through? Because you've put no money, like Rob Lementang, who we had on a little bit ago, like him, you guys have put no money into any deal that you've done. And I know I don't want you to you know, brag, but you guys have quite a few units in addition to those rent-to-owns that you've done. Number one, we learned how to structure deals. We learned from some of the best, including Rob Lemont. We learned how to structure deals and be able to present them to our investors so that they could understand that their money was safe. I would also say that you can't just build up your databank of, of investors. You have to be doing getting the deals and the investors at the same time, because if you get a deal and you don't have an investor, you've lost the deal. If you have an investor and you don't have a deal, you know, that investor is not going to tie up their money for too long before they want to invest it in something else or with someone else. So you, you have to be constantly working both ends of the table. So having the numbers, but even before presenting numbers, I just have a conversation with people. I don't ask for the money right off the bat. It's let's talk, let's get to know one another. You need to be able to trust me. Mm -hmm. So everybody, everybody's just going out there and asking for money, but how many people, what percentage of those people are actually trying to get to know their investors? I know their wives, their kids, birthdays, where they live, what they enjoy doing, how much time they have. I get to know them. And then what we can talk numbers. So really it becomes a relationship of trust before you're asking for anything. It can't be just me, 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 me. Build that relationship and then show them what's in it for them. At the end of the day, yes, they care, but they don't about what you're getting. They want to know what they're getting as a return on their hard-earned money. And it's your job to make them feel comfortable and assured that they're going to get that return or better. Okay. So when it comes to, um, you know, continuing that relationship, because obviously you've had investors that have invested multiple times with you. It's not like a one-time transaction. That's it. Do you think it was more so the relationship that brought them back that you built for the second or third time investing with you? Or was it a return that you generated or possibly a combination? I think it's all of the above. I will call our investors or send them a message, an email, just saying, hi, not mentioning business, not asking for anything again, just saying, Hey, how's it going? This is what's going on in my life. What's going on in your life. And we'll talk. So again, it's just keeping the relationship going. And you know what? The day they stop investing with us, I'll still do that just because I like them. They're mm -hmm. good people. And I enjoy and appreciate the conversations I have. And as important, if not more important, do what you say, say what you do. Just be clear, communicate, let them know if something's going wrong. Don't wait to the last minute to tell them as soon as you find out this is happening. This is how we're going to fix it. This is the impact on you. And this is the impact on me. This is the plan so that they are in the loop and they don't have to guess. Investors shouldn't have to guess with their money. It's up to you to communicate and communicate and communicate. So just have conversations, keep them in the loop. Yeah, I think that um, some investors get shy to deliver bad news. I think people in general do that. They kind of get nervous, like, okay, what's going to happen? But ultimately, the longer you let that sit and wait, it festers. And, you know, something that might have been, you know, a quick conversation, just explain, as you said, this is what's going wrong. This is what we're going to do to fix it. 10 minute conversation, they understand if you let it sit for a month or two, that small issue might snowball into something bigger. 
Yeah. And really, you know what? You're going to put yourself at ease if you address it right away. The more you wait, the more your mind tends to make up scenarios. I think only one time has someone been upset that there's a delay, Mm -hmm. but they weren't really upset. We let them know as soon as we found out there was going to be a delay, they had already ticketed their money to go into another investment. And it was a problem, but you know, everything worked out and they understood it was out of our control. We were doing everything we could to ensure giving them the return. And we landed up, you know, it landed up costing us a little bit more because we had to extend. But at the end of the day, they were happy. We were happy. Everybody made money and they invested with us again. Yeah, that is awesome. And it really goes to show that you have to, and I know you've said this before, but you really have to treat this as a business. You know, if you treat it like a hobby and you're dealing in relationships like you would in maybe your your personal life or just as a hobby, you're not going to get the results that you want. And I think especially investors that are trusting you with their capital, that is what they, you know, deserve. That's what their expectation is, is to be treated appropriately. And then, you know, when the deal is done, if they look back and say, okay, I really like the return I got, obviously they know what they're doing, but more importantly, I really liked how I was treated. So between two investors that they're looking at investing their capital in, all else being equal, they're going to choose the person they like. Yeah, of course. And you know, not to say they won't listen to other offers and not to say they won't invest in other, other projects, right? They should. They should diversify. They shouldn't put all their eggs in one basket. And I even said that to some of our investors. You know what? You shouldn't throw all of that our way. Diversify. Protect yourself. And I think they respect that when you're able to show that you mean you want them to be protected, that you want them to do well, they respect you and they want to be able to do things with you because the trust is there and trust is a difficult thing to, to obtain. It really is, you know, especially in today's world with everything that's going on, who can I trust? Who can I trust? And there are a lot of people who put on a good face, a good show, and, and they're able to attract money. And at the end of the day, they're sharks. There are a lot of sharks out there. And, mm-hmm. you know, I don't want to deal with them. I don't want to deal with them. I know one thing that uh, kind of a co-mentor, I believe that we have said is time will either promote you or expose you. And, you know, for those investors that are just looking at short term, when we raise capital, one deal and out and, you know, not necessarily looking after the best interests of those that are investing capital, they might only get through one or two deals or one or two years in this business. Those like yourself that are truly looking after people that are investing, truly care about the relationships they're building, will be in this business as long as they want to, because they will never be short of capital, relationships, opportunities, joint venture partners, et cetera, to keep building and moving forward. And you know, speaking about moving forward, could you share some of the things that uh, you're looking forward to in your business in the next you know couple of years as you continue to, to grow and shift and change? So we're in the process of selling some of our portfolio and rediverting some of the capital into other projects. I don't know what we have on in plans to do together. I think we both would like to do some projects on our own. And again, there's a big age difference in, in between my business partner and myself. I'm looking towards the next stage in my life. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going to be 55 soon. And I would like to start putting myself in a place where I can travel in the winter somewhere warm. So I'd like to have my retirement be part and parcel with my business. So maybe getting some short-term rentals in warmer climates. 
Mm -hmm. So speaking about that, uh, we also have Roel on, and I'm pretty sure that uh, if you're looking at Florida, you should uh, get in contact with him. But I, I agree with that. Like, I think one thing getting into this business, it's about being able to develop and create that lifestyle that is for you personally. Everybody has a different one. You know, you've said this many times, and that is, you know, the ultimate goal is to be able to live that life and to be able to live it on your own terms. It is. And, and sometimes that means, you know, extravagant things. Sometimes that means having a lot of money in the bank. Sometimes it's just about having time, the ability to have that time to do the things you want with your family, with your friends, when you want, where you want. So it doesn't necessarily mean you have to have, you know, $10 million in the bank. There's a cost to pay, right? To every lifestyle, whether you want the extravagant cars, houses, and jets, or you just want to be able to be comfortable, happy where you are, do some traveling. They're totally different lifestyles with totally different costs to them. But mm -hmm. they each have a cost, the checks and balance, right? If you pay more here, you're giving up more here. You know, no people can't see my hands, right? But there's a cost. No matter what you do or you don't do, cost of action, inaction, what kind of action, there's a cost. Are you willing to pay the cost for that lifestyle that you want? And I'm I'm willing, I've been willing to pay it for a while now. And I'm very happy to pay that cost moving forward because it means I get to spend time with my kids, my wife, my friends, my sisters, and I get to take as much time off as I want. So, awesome. Awesome. And as we wrap up here, Robert, is there any final words of advice, perhaps to those that are thinking about getting into real estate investing, are new to it to kind of help them in their journey? Go learn how to do it. Find people who know how to do it. Learn how to do it the right way. Learn, you know, if you're going to be playing with other people's money, make sure you understand what that means, how to structure deals, how to pay them. Hire good professionals to surround you. Don't be cheap. You don't have to get the most expensive lawyer, most expensive accountant, but make sure they know what they're doing when it comes to your real estate business, your personal estate planning. You know, if you have kids, if you have a spouse, you want to make sure that, you know, God forbid you pass away tomorrow, that your family's taken care of. And for your investors, you know how to spend their money. You're not taking unnecessary risk. And if you are, you're the one who's going to pay for it, not your investor. Mm -hmm. So get educated, find a mentor. You know, there's tons of free information on the internet. Yes, you, you can find, find it, but it'll take you, you know, are you deciphering it in the right way? Are you finding the right good information? I know in my experience, having paid for the education, it worked for me. It's worked for a lot of people I know. So I'm a big proponent on that. And people don't question when a doctor goes to med school, medical school or a lawyer goes to law school. No, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not an accountant. But you know what? I know how to do what I do. And what I don't know, I've hired good people or I've partnered with good people who can advise me in the right way. So it comes down to human resources and knowing how to, how to use other people's money. And that, that also means when you're getting a, a bank mortgage, know how to use it. Even HELOCs, people are making all kinds of mistakes using their HELOCs. You've seen so many investors go into serious financial trouble over the last eight months because they didn't have a clue. They got lucky because of market appreciation. Now it's gone and so are they. All right. Well, Robert, I want to thank you for being a guest today on the Logger and Listings podcast, talking about relationships and also giving a lot of sound advice to investors, whether they be new 
kind of intermediate or even advanced. I think one thing that um, you've definitely shared is that we should never stop learning how to do this business. We should never stop trying to build new relationships and foster the existing ones. And with that, uh, thank you very much. And for you guys that are listening, stay tuned. We have some other guests coming up in the next few weeks that we are excited to uh, have on the Logan Listings podcast. And as always, take care of yourselves. Cheers. And until next time. Bye-bye. If you've enjoyed listening to the Logger and Listings podcast, leave a like or a comment. Not only will we appreciate it, but it will also help this podcast grow organically and help other investors and entrepreneurs grow their businesses and have fun along the way.